Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast edition. As always on Thursdays, and maybe especially this week, uh, it's important to talk to Dwayne, generally Simo Patterson, master of the universe, H-U-G-H-N-I-V-E-R-S-E.com, troll-free web surfing experience for Hugh Hewitt fans and listeners. Uh, we've got the State of the Union. We've got war in Ukraine. We've got uh, Texas's elections. We've got all sorts of uh, different stories that we can talk about, Dwayne. Um, where would you, hey, you're the guest. Where do you want to go first? Uh, I mean, you start with the news, right? You got to start yeah. with Ukraine. You start with what's going on there. Um, it's uh, not looking real good if you're in um, Kherson or parts of Kharkiv. There's uh, Mariupol. Mariupol is uh, under is siege. Under, under uh, siege right now. Um, look, it's it's what a lot of us uh, feared it would be. You know, we we have a large scale Aleppo going on here. It's um, you, your heart is with the Ukrainian people. You kind of wanted them to be able to stick it to the Russians and and uh, uh, reject the assault. We, you know, you wanted the Russian military to be feckless and and have it all blow up in Putin's face. You know, you're you know you, you want to kind of will it to be so, but it's still kind of you know, what's what's the old saying? Quantity has is a quality all of its own. Right? right. You know, you can be inept, but if you're inept with you know, 10 times the size of your opponent's military and or force structure, you're going to end up over time, you're going to win that war, right? Maybe. I mean, honestly, Maybe. if you take a look at what's going on here, it's, uh, I mean, I think that there's a limit to that. And I mean, this morning, we're finding out that Ukraine still has fighters in the air, fighters and and, um, and other air assets I mean, how do you how do you conduct this if you're the Russian military and not not grab air supremacy right off the bat? There's a how do you how do you send a 40 mile column from uh, Russia in, uh, towards Kiev without having uh, flanking units along the lines and making sure that you don't stall out due to a lack of gasoline and food? I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you, but at the same time. How do you, if you're if you're in the West, knowing that Ukraine still has fighter jet capacity, and they still have anti-aircraft capacity to be able to kind of protect, how is it that in the West, between all of our rich countries, we can't uh, we can't seem to float a dozen A-10 warthogs or something to to rain hell down on that, well, that forty-mile column? We promise. Actually, and, and this morning, the Ukrainians are raining hell on that forty-mile column. That's the reason why I bring it up is that Military Times reporter, um, I'm trying to remember his name here, just saw it go across here, um, uh, Neil Hauer, uh, reported that Ukrainian air uh, assets uh, just um, attacked that stalled convoy. And, I mean, what you do, I mean, this is pretty simple. What you do is you disable the front and the back of that, then you just play turkey shoot with the rest of it. Right. Um, so uh, the West did promise, or at least the EU, I should say, and, and here's where we're going to get technical. The EU promised dozens of older Russian-based fighter jets, MiGs, um, that were apparently just, we just had them laying around. Which aren't the best for air to ground. They're okay air to air, but... Yeah, but you, you know. can protect the assets that Ukraine has air, to, uh, you know, in the right. air using these planes. I mean... Something's better than nothing, right? I mean, this yes. is this is the Sherman tank argument, right? Is that the Sherman tank was not the equal to the uh, to the uh, Tiger or Panzers, but we could produce a you know a, a crap load of them, and we could and and the Germans couldn't. 
So quantity, yeah, quantity became a quality all of its Quanti- own. Quantity became a quality all of its own. Exactly. Um, and then the NATO, uh, you know, so they, they, they sent dozens of pilots to Poland and Romania and Hungary to pick up these jets that were just laying around. We had them just laying around. And it was a, such a heartwarming story until NATO realized that they were going to be flying from NATO airspace into into the war. And they said, uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, no. We won't be doing that. And, I mean, honestly, there's still workarounds for that. But the workarounds are terrible. The, 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 the easiest workaround is to fly them to Kizanao, Moldova, which is not a NATO country. And then from Kizanao into the war zone. And then you can have the sort of... You can have this sort of... Um, uh, plausible deniability. The, the, the veneer of plausible deniability, which yeah. is about as thick of a veneer. I mean, to be honest, it's about as thick of a veneer as as uh, Vladimir Putin's premise for the whole thing to begin with. Well, and not only that, but we're sending javelins and all sorts of other Stingers. arms over, you know, over the ground, right? I mean, I guess you could just roll these suckers down the road past the Ukrainian border. So, yeah, um, I, I, I'm not I'm not sure the distinction without the difference here. I mean, yeah. technically, we're not pulling the triggers. Right. All we're doing is giving them the planes. This is Lend-Lease, right. which right. the Russians should appreciate because it saved their ass so in 1941. If, if, if you are Putin... Uh, you're looking at that going, okay, so I'm at war with all of NATO, except that it's, you know, NATO's trying to pretend that, oh, we're not in the war, we're not in the war. Well, they kind of are. I mean, they really honestly kind of are. They kind of are, but I think at this point, the the pretense is helping Putin more than the other way around, because after watching the the Russians fight in the field, there is simply no way, (laughs) there is simply no way that Putin could wage conventional warfare against NATO um, and succeed. I mean, I, I know the dream here was to, after you wrap up Ukraine, you go over to the Baltic states. There is zero chance of that now. Absolutely none. Finland's probably no. going to end up joining NATO. Sweden's probably going to end up joining NATO. Um, and we're already rolling tens of thousands of troops into the Baltic states and uh, and, and also Poland, also Hungary, also Romania. Which should have been there months ago. Or at least weeks ago, right? At least weeks yes. ago, yeah. So I mean, uh, you've got all this—you've uh, got all this going on. You've got um, uh, Russia now. Sort of the 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 masks are off, which we'll talk about in a completely different t- context. I think a little later on in the podcast. Um, but the masks are off. I mean, Macron, as we're speaking, Macron uh, is giving a readout of his talk uh, with Vladimir Putin. He's one of the few Western leaders still speaking with Vladimir Putin directly. And Macron says Russia just wants to uh, annex the entirety of Ukraine now. So this is going to get worse. Um, they are going. Well, and again, th- here here's my biggest problem with all this. Of, of you know, if that's his right. plan, the premise for going into Ukraine, one of the quote prem- you know, premises that that he used was that he could not have a NATO country on his border. That's why he was worried about Ukraine joining NATO. He wanted the guarantee that you know Ukraine would never join NATO because we can't stand it. it, it it's an existential threat for Russia to have a a NATO uh, country on our on our borders. Right. Well, okay. 
never mind the fact that they actually have NATO countries on their borders already. Have, have had. Norway is been had, a NATO, and, from the beginning. Norway's been a, um, right. so, a NATO country. So it's 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 a it's a it's a BS premise. But okay, so he invades and swallows and annexes Ukraine, whether he calls it Putingrad or whether he installs a puppet government, but it's basically West Russia, right? Right. You know, for all intents and purposes, it's West Russia. Uh, what are the countries that are on the borders on the western side and the southern? Uh, uh, Poland, southwest? Poland, Hungary, Romania. He'll he'll Her, he'll try to absorb Moldova too. Moldova's not a NATO country. Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, Moldova will be gone in an hour. You know, it's a small right. country. We understand that, but are are there not NATO countries on on that border? Yeah, there's NATO countries all over the place there. All over, all the way around it. So, right. So how does how does his calculation change at that point? Well, I mean, this is. This is it's a BS premise. It was well, it's, always it's, a BS it's premise. always a it was always a BS premise, and this sort of I mean we can talk about Western miscalculations in terms of trying to engage Ukraine and NATO and Georgia and NATO, and I think that those are legitimate criticisms of the West, but it's clear that Putin isn't really motivated by that all that much. What he's motivated by is uh, a new Russian imperialism. I, I mean, I, it's it's. I think he's motivated by he's seventy years old, and by the time he starts sixty nine, yeah. Yeah, by by the time he you know he starts gumming his borscht, he wants he wants uh, Mother Russia to be uh, to, to to be in her in her former greatness, so he can go off to glory, knowing he he brought Russia back. Right. He wants to be he wants to be um, the, one of the great czars. He wants to basically restore uh, the the imperial imperial Russia without the Soviet trappings, maybe even with some of the Soviet trappings. Um, well, if you look at how he's how he's repressing his uh, dissenters, it's you know it's it's well, and that's something interesting too because there's an interesting development on this. It's not getting a ton of attention, but we talked to Father Marcel Guarnizo about this on Tuesday, so you know my my antenna are up on this. Uh, Patriarch Kittle of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church uh, had a sermon on Sunday, which basically was making him a mouthpiece for Putin's you know, justifications for this war that there really isn't a Ukrainian people. And, you know, these are, uh, you know, the Ukrainians are Russians and, uh, and, and we need to put an end to people trying to sow division between Russians. And now he's got a revolt on his hands. 176 clerics in the Russian Orthodox church just signed a right. letter, um, breaking away, not breaking away. I want to be very careful about this. Um, rebuking Patriarch Kirill and that stance of the church and the Vatican is now reporting that that number has grown to 233. Now that's a fairly significant amount of priests and clerics who are going to be talking to people in their parishes or whatever the, the cognate term is for Orthodox church about the evil of this war. I mean, this is, Putin has been counting on having a subservient Russian Orthodox church as part of a propaganda uh, effort on for for many different purposes, not just this purpose, but for many different purposes, and and I will also say this because I said it in the post is that Putin has used that as as a um, as a pretext to get uh, benighted Western jock sniffers on his side <laughs> as some right. sort of you know fide defensor of Christianity when you know. 
Putin doesn't give a crap about Christianity. Putin cares about Russian imperialism, and maybe yeah, scales I, are I, starting to fall from the eyes there too. I don't, I don't see in the in the New Testament anywhere uh, since we're talking about Christianity and 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 you know how you're supposed to to act and and, and go about things. Um, I, I don't see anything in Christianity where leaders are supposed to use, you know, cluster munitions and vacuum bombs on residential neighborhoods. Yeah. And I mean, hospitals. Or, or attacking, uh, you know, uh, invading another country unprovoked uh, for, um, uh, you know, for uh, what's annihilation is one way of putting it. But, you know, for annexation. It's a genocide. It's, it's basically a, a genocide. It's a genocide. It's, it's, it's a forced Anschluss. I mean, this is basically the Anschluss all over again. If you right. look at this, I mean, if you have any any sense of history, these are the same pretexts. And, and I hate to bring it up because I know it's, you, you run into God the whole law. Godwin's Law thing about everything ends up being about Hitler. But really, honestly, this is the same pretexts that Hitler used uh, for the Anschluss of Austria, for the, uh, for the forced Anschluss of the Sudetenland. Um, and you know the Austrian Anschluss was was clearly under military force too. I mean, and so and so, what do we in the West do? What does what does the United States do? We're continuing to still finance it. Yep, it's it's just beyond outrageous. Even the Brits this morning, uh, late, late breaking news. I mean, whenever you hear the podcast, it'll be a few years old or a few years, few hours old. <laughs> um, but uh, well, in in as fast as news breaks, it, it might as well be a few years old. But uh, this morning, on uh, on Thursday, the uh, the Brits had announced that they were going ahead and finishing off the pulling out all Russian banks, even the ones that process all of the oil revenue and and gas revenue. They're pulling them out of SWIFT. Right. Um, it's it's inexplicable to me why why we didn't know. We had Brian Westbury, senior economist for First Trust Portfolios, a real smart guy, and we asked him. So you know what happens what happens to us here if we if we uh, employed the SWIFT option and and pulled them out and and quit buying Russian oil and gas. And he said that yeah, there would be a spike uh, in, in the short term, but by and large, as far as the market goes, as far as how the he says most investors kind of already built that in. They already know that's coming. It's just a matter of, yeah. of when, not if. It's not going to be that big of a shock to the system in, in the overall scheme of things. Right. 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 Well, there's also some really interesting developments along these lines, too. First off, today is the fourth day in a row that the Russian stock market has remained closed after having uh, almost 50% of its entire uh capitalization disappeared did you see the, did you see the, the, the video of the of the russian <laughs> the trader expert? yeah the, the trader, the trader with, with with the with the bottle saying doing the funeral the, the, the funeral speech to, to uh, uh capitalism yeah he did he did the um he did the russian equivalent of pouring one out for the homie <laughs> on television saying that uh from now on, he's just going to be a Santa because the Russian stock market is dead. Uh, it's been right. closed for four days. Um, there's also now evidence that even though we haven't put a an explicit embargo on Russian oil, nobody's buying it. Uh, there was a um, there was a couple of articles on this where Russian oil sales they had Russian oil auctions at deep discounts and still nobody's buying it. So even without, in part because some of the sanctions could be triggered on on other entities that 
participate in that sale. And so everybody's right. so, nervous about kind, it. Kind of a second generation effect, even though yeah. that we won't explicitly sanction Russian oil and gas exports, anybody that touches it, it's fruit of the poison tree. Well, and, I mean, we'll go after them. we won't even stop buying. We won't even stop American companies from buying it here. I mean, you don't necessarily however, have to sanction it to do that. Right. However, because of the optics of it, BP and Shell and Exxon right. have basically said, okay, eh, we're done with this. We, we can get it somewhere else. Right, right. So... In a way, this brings us around to the State of the Union address. I, I, I just want to finish up one thing here. Um, has anybody figured... The most figured... reprehensible collection of garbage in 75 minutes I have ever seen. But <laughs> we'll get to it. I, come on, man. I've watched Joe Biden for 40 years. I, I, I've seen more reprehensible stuff than what happened the other night, but... But it wasn't very good, and it was it, really a, it was a huge good. it was a huge missed opportunity. It tells you everything you need to know about Joe Biden. But before we go there, I just yeah. want to ask you before we change topics: Has anybody figured out what Vladimir Putin's end game could possibly be? The best I think now that he can hope for is a twenty year occupation that's going to kill tens of thousands of Russian soldiers <laughs> and still fail. I mean, eventually, it's still going to fail. Russia just doesn't have the resources to have that type of occupation. It's the reason why the Soviet Union collapsed after nine years of occupation in Afghanistan. They ran out of money. Um, I really think he, honest, he honestly thought that he would be done with this two, three weeks tops. And yeah. um, Ukraine would bluster and bluster, and then at the end of the day, they'd fold, and that would be, and that would be it. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Um, I, th I think Vladimir Putin is, is dead man walking. You saw one of the oligarchs. One of his oligarchs actually came out and uh, and and threw his weight and support behind behind the Ukrainians, and, and apparently he's he's helping buy ammunition. Yep. Um, what's going to happen is, you know, let's let let's not mince words about what Russia is today. It's not a communist state. It's not. It's a it's a it's a it's a mafia state. It's a it's a. a um, it's it's an oil producing uh, narco state basically. It's run by a mob boss and all of the kingpins that are underneath him. Uh, at some point, they're going to get tired of this pretty darn quick. And I think they're if they're not there already, they're close to there. Um, Putin's going to have to get real paranoid because somebody's going to pull a bullet in the back of his head. Yep. And 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 that's just that's going to you're just all of a sudden you're just going to see a press release saying oh by the way here's the new president of russia yeah i think that that's exactly what's going to happen it's going to be a july 20 I, plot yeah uh, only one that succeeds see, because everybody I, will be in on it i i actually at this point the way things are going i would be amazed if um if uh, putin sees the end of april maybe even the end of march maybe even the end of march yeah no i i agree with you there's apparently a rumor that uh putin's going to declare martial law in russia um, Julia Ioff was saying that one of her friends was racing to the Baltic state's border uh, to get out of Russia because there's a widespread belief that uh, Putin's going to declare martial law. And I think at that point, the military is going to say, you know, as long as we're here. <laughs> exactly. Even uh, since we're up, <laughs> even even Israel, which, you know, because of the Syria option, they've had to kind of play footsies with Putin because understandably kind of so, understandably under so. Yeah. But even even Naftali Bennett came out today and, and he's even he's even because because that position, I understand Israel's position. 
on the international stage, it's an untenable one. Yep. I mean, it really honestly is. And Bennett finally came to that realization today, and even he's uh, backing off of that whole thing. So, you know, it's 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 Putin versus the world, and and it's even Putin versus his own his own underlings uh, in in the oligarchy class. But what what I think you're gonna you're gonna end up seeing here is um, uh, you're you're gonna see people uh, do a revolt on the guy, and and you're just gonna wake up one day and it's, it's going to be all over with. Right. Uh, we had, we had one of our, one of our regular callers who we've known for, uh, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, you've, you probably know who this is too. Yoni or. Oh yeah. Yoni. Yeah. He's great. I, Yoni the blogger. Yeah, he's uh, called in a couple of times when I've guest hosted too. So yeah. He's a former, uh, former IDF dual <laughs> citizen, uh, was a cop here in Seattle for a bunch of years, uh, was a, um, special officer in uh, in the idf and he came out with a theory today or, or an option today that i thought was actually kind of smart i hadn't thought of it yet he's he floated the idea of having western countries offer the russian soldiers the off-ramp that putin is not willing to take for himself or for for the country which is if you lay down your weapons if you're a russian soldier because if, if you go back to Russia and you don't fight, you're dead, right? Right. Or, you know, they they they'll, they'll shoot you and they'll kill they'll they'll kill everybody around you. Pour right? encourager les autres. Right. So <laughs> yes. what if what if the West says if you lay your weapons down or turn your weapons over to the Ukrainians, uh, you get a green card? Yeah. Well, I think that, and I, I actually, I, I think that that's sort of de facto what's going on right now. They're capturing some of these young kids, and but they, but they, well, they're capturing some of these kids. But I'm saying, why not, why not pull the, pull the, you know, the psychops on them and, and actually start broadcasting that? Yep. Yep. All right, let's move to the State of the Union address because I, we got a few minutes left here, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, there were two ways that Joe Biden could have gone, and and apart from the Ukraine part, which was rhetorically good but substance free i mean we really didn't offer anything of substance to to ukrainians other than other than because lots of praise he's not leading right i can't tell you it was rhetorically good well it was it was embarrassing well to have an american president look at look at the horrors that are unfacing looking at, at the war crimes that are unfolding and he can't even on an on, a, on an international stage call the war crime the war crime he can't he can't start right. to sell the american people it's he's he's as worthless as well, a on a turnip that was a missed opportunity certainly so is the whole state of the union address though i mean here you have a yeah. president who is plunging to new lows almost every day in polling he's helping um, me out my goal is to get him into the 20s by the time we get to the midterm well you don't even need to i'm not even sure you need to lift a finger man he's doing that by himself and this whole speech, I mean, this is a this is the type of situation, this confidence crisis cascade situation, which he's clearly been in since he um, abandoned Americans and American allies in Afghanistan and his rush to surrender to the Taliban. Um, the, the, the State of the Union address is his best opportunity to reset, right? Say, okay, look, I know that Americans think that things have gone on the wrong track. And so, look, what we're going to do is we're going to address the things that seem to be the most critical right now for American people. You know, that's inflation. That's crime. We're going to change these the policies that we followed 
in order to address those situations up front. And we're going to make that our focus. We're going to put aside the rest of the agenda. We're going to make these, you know, three or four issues our focus. Instead, what did we get? We got Build Back Better. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what we got. What yeah. we got was the Build Back Better, which was the Titanic sitting right. in, in the Atlantic. Joe Biden dredged up, lifted the Titanic back to the surface, and took all three pieces of the Titanic and offered it as three new boats. Yes. Yes. And promised that it would get to shore this time. Right. And and, and <laughs> climb back aboard. Was, and, and and promised it was still seaward. Yeah, climb back aboard. I it won't sink again. Uh, it's it's great. These these things are great. I mean, I don't remember a, a State of the Union address from a president who is as disconnected from political reality as Joe Biden is. I mean, that's the, only thing gonna, you, that's the only thing you can conclude from this is this guy has no idea what's going on. Here's how we're going to lower inflation, and here's how we're going to get things back under control. We're going to subsidize everything we want to subsidize, and that's how you lower costs. Yeah. Not apparently understanding basic economics, whereas if you wallpaper the country so that you are putting a premium on the demand of a product or service, take the childcare uh, uh, industry, right? You know, every, you know, everybody wants free childcare or, or reduced costs for, for, um, uh, for, for childcare. So you're going to give all sorts of benefits and subsidies to people. Well, people that aren't in the market for childcare are now going to be in the market for childcare. Do you think that there is going to instantaneously be 500 uh, times the amount of childcare options that there are today, just because there's a bunch of uh, money out there? No, there's not. Which means you're gonna have more money chasing a finite um, uh, amount of supply and what is that actually going to do to the price? It's going to. It's Go the same thing. The roof. It's the same as it did with the with the <laughs> stimulus package in March, which Larry Summers warned about. And, and by the way, did you see Larry Summers' reaction to the State of the Union address yes. yesterday? He was not a he was not a happy guy. Um, yeah, he he called it. Um, uh, it wasn't diversionary, but it was something like that. Basically, it was what's, dishonest, which is what he said the first time, the, too. What's the classical definition of insanity again? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah. So so Joe Biden is insane, is what we're saying, right? Uh, I'll put it according, this way. Uh, Joe Biden according is to a, the classical definition? I, I would just say this. I'm going to stick with my classical definition of Joe Biden. He's 20 pounds of bullshit, in a, bullshit a ten, in a 10 pound bag. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, so doesn't Dwayne, know, he, he just doesn't know anything. He he's, doesn't, he's just a I dummy. Mean, and we can talk about the gaffes. We can talk about Uranians, which was funny as hell, by the way. Um, you can talk about a pound of Ukrainians. You can talk about go get them at the end of the speech. I mean, what the hell is that? I have no idea. That's sort of like, did you ever see the South Park episode with uh, Al Gore where he says, Excelsior! And then you know, jumps off the screen with a cape on. I, I mean, that's sort of, I, like, I, that's I sort of an excellent. I don't know if that was trying to channel Reagan and you know go win one for the Gipper. I, I I don't I don't know what that I don't know what that. Which was. which by the way, Reagan never bothered never never actually used actually said state, right. well, he, he said it in a film in a in a movie <laughs> in a movie scripted yeah. right yeah but he didn't say it in the State of the Union address. I'm sure he referred to it from time to time on the stump, but he right yeah he, yeah. So I mean. There is no hope. If you're a Democrat looking at this, right? You're a Democrat looking at this, looking at you're the- You're doomed. I mean, you're doomed. It's doomed. Doomed, doomed, doomed. 
There is no reset. There's no recognition that a reset is even needed. There's no agenda. No there's agenda. nothing to there's nothing to run on. There's there's nothing to stop the bleeding. Well, I I there's take that no back. There's political there is, tourniquet. There was an agenda. It's the same agenda that's been losing for the last year. <laughs> Right, he's doubling down on failure, is what he's doing. He didn't offer a tourniquet to stop the bleeding. Not, not, not even a band aid. I mean, not even a recognition that there was bleeding in the first place. He's up there thinking that he's in the '60s, and and it's a great time for a stay the course speech. I mean, it's absurd. The level, uh, you know, he's talking. He's still talking about green energy sources replacing fossil fuels. Did you see how Ron Klain went on Twitter with a bunch of radical lefties and did a Twitter confab afterwards and yes. what he actually said? Yes. He said the American people haven't fully internalized the processes yet of how great things are with the economy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> haven't internalized how how great 7.5% annualized inflation actually is. A 9% annualized producer price index inflation actually yeah, is. 7.5%. We're going to, by the time we get to election day, we're going to look back at 75 as the glory days. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the Goldman Sachs thing, but they said, you know what? We've changed our mind. Inflation isn't going down at all this year. No. It's going to be rolling all the way down to the midterms. Jerome and, Powell yeah. tried to say yesterday it was going to go down. He says, ah, we're, we're going to do a quarter, a quarter point hike and, um, we may do another one down the road, but we're pretty confident that inflation's going to, you know, kind of take care of itself and, and roll off and go down a little bit as the year progresses. Absolutely insane. I, there is no metric that is going to do that. Nope. Nope. No metric at all. So what you have here is you have a president who's disconnected from reality. You've got a White House who's that's <clears throat> just as disconnected from reality. Um, and then on top of all that, you have the squad who starts attacking him from the left, Rashida Tlaib. Did you actually watch Rashida Tlaib's uh, response? It was basically the, it was basically the Communist Manifesto is what it was. But that's not what the greatest part about that was. You, you saw what the greatest part about that was. Well, I'm not sure because there are so many great parts about that. For, for While for she was giving that speech, do you know who booked herself and was on TV counter-programming? Rashida Taleb at the same time? No, no. I must have missed this part. AOC went on MSNBC oh, with I Rachel Maddow. <clears throat> and yes. and was and, and so so now they're eating their own. They're competing they're competing amongst themselves for the fever swamp. Yep. Indeed they are. And um and it should be a very interesting midterm as a result. Uh you know, I I don't know if Republicans will will shoot themselves two, in the foot two of aoc but, two well it's the republicans anything right. can happen two of aoc's preferred primary candidates for the democrats in two different congressional races in texas won their primaries last night yeah. now if they are aoc approved democrats in texas i'm liking my chances even more yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw what happened here in Texas, but the extremes didn't do terribly well here. The, you know, they really thought that they were going to knock off Henry Cuellar. Um, Jennifer Cisneros was, she ended up forcing a runoff, but she still finished behind Cuellar. <clears throat> and I suspect that after the State of the Union speech, <laughs> they're going to be, they're, 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 the, the 
the left is going to be even less inclined to turn out and vote in a runoff election. And I think the, the conservatives near the border are did, going to turn did, out in droves. Did you see the CBS poll about the State of the Union speech? Yes, I did. The lowest, the lowest um, enthusiasm level since uh, George W. Bush's 2007, I believe it was Correct. 2007. And, yeah. did you, and did you see the makeup of that poll? Yeah, I mean, and, and the reason why is because it was a poll of State of the Union viewers. And State of the Union viewers are primarily comprised of two population types. One is right. supporters of the president, and the other are masochistic bloggers. Uh, and I I'm firmly in this. I, I'm firmly in the second I, camp, Dwayne. I understand. <laughs> I understand that. But what I'm saying is, is if the number that you've got of people that thought he did a good job, and you just kind of you, you you went through that thinking that it was based upon a reflection of the of the electorate at at large, it's still not a very good number. But when you when you look at it and the sample was 49% Democrats, 28% independents, and only 21% Republicans. And he still can only pull a 49%. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I wrote that, about it. I wrote about it. That's on, death. I mean, that's, morning, that's, yeah. that's, that's political death. Yeah. It, there is no enthusiasm in the Democratic Party for, for this president. And as a no. result, the turnout model is going to be brutal in the midterms, just absolutely brutal in the midterms for Democrats. Um, it's it's going to be right now at least it's looking like a, a a red tsunami, not not just a red wave. And again, things change. We're in March. We're talking eight months from now, just a little under eight months from now. We're going to have I, this. I, but, I, I totally I totally agree with you. But again, point to me, name me two, name me one thing, name me two things that could take place that that's going to turn it around. Well, that's I think a sudden I think a sudden deceleration of inflation would help. Unfortunately, and, and the Biden administration said you'd have to ramp up American oil production. You'd have to restart the process of getting the Keystone Pipeline open so that futures prices on oil would drop dramatically. But that they, would are be great hell, yeah. they are hell-bent on not doing that. Right. Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary, yesterday on a podcast said, we're in the middle of a transition. We're not going to do that. Yeah. We're just We're just not. We're in the middle of a transition to high um, high prices at the pump, uh, endemic inflation, and um, and a return to the to the malaise of the late 1970s. That's the and, transition that and, we're making. And he's just trying to do a con job and a shell game and begging to try to wallpaper the country with cash again and try to get everybody anesthetized on a, on a sugar high one. Just, yeah. just long enough to get through the midterms. Right. The Republicans aren't going to give that to him. Joe nope. Manchin's not going to give that to him. Nope. Nope. And he's made that clear, by the way, in the last couple of days. Manchin is not going to do that. He's made that extremely clear. Again, they're going to fight the same war that they just fought twice. <laughs> and they're going to lose it again. Twice. And right. they're going to lose it again. Because, yeah. All right. We're, we're, we're really kind of out of time here. Just want to give you one little breaking news story. Just let you give it like a 60-second react. Um Doug Ducey has made it official he will not run for Senate in Arizona this year. Uh, that uh, Now you've got Sununu, Ducey, and Hogan, and um, uh, I, there's one other governor who isn't um, Republican governor who won't cross over for um, the Senate. But, I mean, what does that say to you? 
it, it, especially when you're looking at a cycle that's going to be as friendly to Republicans as possible when oh, I think these governors I, don't want to make that transition. I, I am less worried about Arizona than other states. Um, I, you know, Mark Burnage, Mark Burnovich is running for, for uh, yep. Senate there. And I think he's, I, I think with Ducey out of the race, Burnovich is the odds on favorite. I, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that changes that uh, dynamic as much as as some other places. Yep. I would have loved to have seen Chris Sununu run up in New Hampshire. I think I think he would have he would have walked away with that race. Uh, I think Larry Hogan. You know, even though I don't agree with Larry Hogan policy wise on on uh, you know as much as as others in the, in uh, in the Senate, um, Larry Hogan would have would have made that Maryland seat really really competitive. Yep. But you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. All right. We just got to ride the wave. Now, we're going to do more of this tonight uh, in the Huniverse. So people who haven't yet signed up for the Huniverse, H-U-G-H-N-I-V-E-R-S-E.com, uh, you will be missing out on uh, Dwayne's after show tonight. Uh, I usually do it on Wednesday nights, but tonight I'm doing it on Thursday night because I made an ash out of myself last night. Uh, <laughs> um and uh, we're going to talk about some of these same things. Of course, Wayne's going to have lots of cuts to, to play. He's going to, he's probably going to give me all sorts of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris clips to listen to tonight. Uh, so. It depends. It depends if they say anything. I, but I, I may play for you the Jill Biden cut from yesterday. Do you see that no, one? No, I did not. So don't, don't give it away. We're just going to leave that. We're going to tease, tease that one out there. Jill yes. Biden cut. A rare Jill Biden cut coming up on a tonight's real, after show. A, a rare Jill Biden cut, yes. What's coming up on tomorrow morning's Hugh Hewitt show? Uh, not next Friday, of course, but tomorrow, because next Friday right. I'm coming next up. Next Friday you're doing it. Yeah. But no, tomorrow, if, I, if you had to name one member of the Senate that has been the best by an order of magnitude, policy and messaging, on ukraine and what we should be doing who would that one senator be tom cotton the best well he's okay so obviously i guessed wrong yeah you guessed wrong <laughs> oh cotton's great cruz is great a lot of uh, you know I, I i love these guys to pieces the one guy that has used social media the best the one guy that has been uh the best as far as as messaging to me has been marco rubio he's going to be oh of market. course and and I and he has been great, and he's been he's been on this for a very long time. So yes, I I, I think I, I adore Tom Cotton. I'm not minimizing anything that Tom Cotton has said about this. He's 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 I, I can't point to a thing about foreign policy here that I would disagree with Cotton on. Marco Rubio has has been. I mean, whether it's head games uh, uh, by way of of social media, whether it's triangulating intelligence that are from public sources to get people. He's been able to try and get people to care about this issue more than anybody else in the Senate. Yep. And he's, they'll be on with you tomorrow. All right. So that's coming up tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Eastern time, 5 a.m. in God's time zone, 3 a.m. on the left coast. If you don't have the, or if you do, if you're a member of the universe, you can watch it live. Uh, even when I'm doing it, you can watch it live. Um, and I'll be doing it a week from tomorrow. Um, if you, if not, you have to listen to it on the AM radio dial. Dwayne, what should people do if they can't find it on the AM radio dial? Um, I think what you do is you seize the general manager's uh, uh, expensive yacht, and you basically treat him like a Russian oligarch. Well, there you go. I was also going to try. I was also going to suggest that we probably need to get the Uranians involved. Um, <laughs> Uranians, <laughs> because. Because uh, apparently Vladimir Putin's imperial ambitions uh, are also on Uranus. 
And because I'm 12 years old, we're going to have to close it down at that. Dwayne, generally smoke person of the universe. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks a lot. I'll see you tonight. See you tonight. Stay tuned for more from the Ed Morrissey Show. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining me is Michelle Easton, uh, author of the book, How to Raise a Conservative Daughter. This is now coming out in paperback. This came out last year, and it's uh, done so well that uh, Regnery, which is a, a unit of Salem Communications, as is Hot Air, um, uh, has uh, already accelerated this uh, into paperback. And Michelle Easton is here to join us to talk about that and also to talk about her... Um, her pending visit to CPAC. I'm not going to be there, but uh, Michelle will be. We'll talk about that a little bit too. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you. And I know we're catching you just as you're trying to get ready to go to CPAC because it starts in a couple of days. But um, you're, I mean, you 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 make the rounds at CPAC anyway. Um, uh, what are how are you going to? Uh, first off, are you presenting at CPAC, or are you going to just be uh, making the rounds there? Well, I'm going to be making the rounds, but also we're going to have a college woman's lunch uh, featuring Allie Stuckey. So we'll have all the college girls in a room to uh, shore them up, give them confidence and courage. And Allie's a great speaker. And then we also recruit. We recruit for internships and staff at CPAC. So um, I won't be at the podium, but um, I'll be doing other things which are, are key as well. Well, honestly, I think you should be at the podium. I'm, I'm, well. I'm surprised that CPAC <laughs> didn't, didn't uh, make that offer to you because I think that this is one of the things, this is one of the topics that I think is an almost an evergreen topic is how do you raise conservative kids in our culture and political climate? And uh, you have a whole book uh, devoted on just how to do that, and uh, I, I think that I think this might be a better topic than whatever else they're they're, they're discussing right there, especially if they're looking at the future of conservatism. Well, you're very kind. I really appreciate that. But uh, the truth is, I think the book is selling so well because and because it's not preachy. It's it's what I've learned over 29 years of running the uh, Corbuthu Center for Conservative Women. I work with these unbelievably accomplished college girls and I started to accumulate uh, information about how is it that they turned out so well so I wrote a book and it's what I've learned over 29 years with thousands of girls some of whom are like daughters to me um, and there's certain key things that moms and dads have to do um, to uh, it's not a, it's not a silver bullet it's not a, a guarantee but you're going to have a better shot at raising your daughter. Here's the truth. When, when you and I were growing up, if your family was conservative and you went to church, you had a pretty good shot that she'd turn out okay. But today, with the indoctrination in the schools, the, uh, the destructive social media, the popular culture, you've got to do more as a mom and a dad uh, and a grandparent, anybody working with these girls, to have a better shot that she turns out well. Well, and I think that this is in part because of the way that the culture has been transformed by social media, by <clears throat> but cable TV. I mean, cable TV is probably the first really big disruptor for this. And then you've got social media on top of the Internet, then social media on top of that. Uh, it's you don't have that sort of um, containable culture that when when I was growing up, I, I think you're younger than I am. But when I was growing up, you didn't have any of that. You had 
the three broadcast networks and a few independent uh, television stations. I grew up in Los Angeles um, yeah. or in the Los Angeles area. And um, so, I mean, there was there were certainly cultural influences, you know, television being being one of them, but it was more containable. There was more com there was more local community than global community. And I right. think that that's and one of the big issues that you're addressing in this book. Absolutely. And just think about the schools. When I went, I think I might be older than you, Ed, but when I went, there were no teachers I knew or principals that didn't share my parents' traditional values, that just, they weren't there. But today, whoa, <laughs> there's all kinds of other agendas in the, in the public schools. And also, I learned from my own children, even in the private schools. So you, you can't really trust the schools to, to ensure that your daughter is going to share your values. And then the other thing is social media. Oh, my goodness. Um, many parents don't even realize how, how powerful social media can be. And one of the things I recommend in the book is limiting the time your girls spend on social media. You, you can't really ban it totally, although some parents do. But the, the analogy I draw is when my boys were growing up, TV was the bad guy with all kinds of influences. And our rule was school nights, we don't watch TV. So that limited it tremendously. Find a way to limit the time they spend on it um, and restrict their access to these horrible uh, websites that are very, very harmful. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, this is I think, uh, we were talking about that in terms of television. By the way, I, I'd like to correct you on one, one important fact. Nobody's older than I am, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how old you are. I'll tell you how old I am. No, 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 no. I, we we don't need we don't need to get into that, Michelle. But uh, <laughs> um, I, at least that's the way I feel in the mornings. Nobody's older than me. Um, but you I sound mean, quite young, so good for you. There you go. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, there's there's this is we were talking about limiting television, right? Um, when we were kids, I mean, our parents would limit yeah. the amount of television. You know, we always push back against that, of course, and but. Um, but it was just easier to contain. Those types of things were easier to contain. And part of the reason why it's almost impossible to contain that now is because so many of the tools for education are now online, and especially over the pandemic. I mean, I, I know this came out last year, so we were in the middle of the pandemic. You were probably writing this mostly the year before that. Um, mm -hmm. And because I know what, you know, I know what publishing cycles look like. Um, yeah. Well... Every child in, that was, almost every child in America that was getting an education was doing it online, at least for part of that year. And when you do that, I mean, that breaks those things down even further, and it makes online uh, discipline, I guess you can say. I don't want to say discipline in, in terms of punishment, but online discipline in terms of limiting and controlling the influences on your children it makes it impossible. Yes, it's very, very hard, although I must say the uh, parents getting to see what was going on in the schools yes. probably did more for school choice than anything since I've been working on that issue. You know, as you're right about that. It, it wasn't all bad. I mean, um, I mean, you had schools that were at one point forbidding parents to be in on the calls, which I think set up huge red flags for parents. And they, right. you know, right. and, and around here, uh, I'm in uh, northern Virginia. I can tell you that every private school in this area has a mile-long waiting list. <laughs> um, there's just people that just want to in a better environment than what they're getting in the public schools. Not that there aren't some wonderful public schools, and I went to great public schools in New York, a state where I grew up, but 
things are different today. Um, and uh, private school is not a guarantee either, and I know that from my own children. But um, there's some real problems with the government-run education these days, uh, and parents are reacting by getting on the waiting list for the private schools. Well, I think so, too. And I apologize for the noise. I had a little accident with the microphone here, which is always great for podcasts, right? I mean... This is sort of this is sort of like my live show used to be. It's like you, you get a chance to see all the things that go wrong, on, you know, in, in on the Ed Morrissey show. But Michelle, I, you know, I, I want to talk. I, I do want to get into the book here because I think first off, you address a lot of all of these issues really in the book too. But as well, you're addressing some really core values here. And I'm when I say core values, I'm talking about philosophy. So for instance, your your very first chapter, right, is about self-worth and what the origin of that self-worth is. And it's yeah. not government. And it's and it's right. not television. It's not ABC, NBC, CBS, or HBO. Thank right. goodness. Right. It's It so flows from God. Right. It flows from God, not government. And this is really the key concept, probably the most important concept to be sure that your daughter understands. Self-worth is a a deeply conservative concept and you know the greatest gift you can give your daughter is to understand that she's uniquely made and 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 unconditionally loved by God and it's quite different from self-esteem which is something you you know you hear a lot about uh, in the schools I mean self-esteem is uh, is something where you you know you turn to uh, other people for validation and I, I'm not saying it's bad to have self-esteem but self-worth is, is a much deeper concept. And, um, you know, knowing that she's uniquely made um, and that government can never substitute for a good mother and father, much less for God, uh, so much of what is conveyed to young women in schools, in popular culture, in media, is that, you know, affirmative action, government-funded health care, uh, free stuff is what gives you self-worth. You just collect all that you can. Uh, but, and yet we know that dependency on these programs uh, fuel socialists and leftist police because to them, government is the god. So it's a really key concept, um, and uh, and you just have to work at it and and make a difference and let your daughter understand the difference between self worth, which is a sense of your own value as a home and a human being created by God, and self esteem, which is sort of confidence and uh, and some satisfaction in yourself. They're quite different. Right, and and I mean. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that um, uh, this this focus on self-esteem for self-esteem's own sake has kind of turned us into the sort of the narcissists that uh, that social media sort of exacerbates. It's a trend that social media exacerbates, where it puts everybody at the center of the universe. Um, even yeah. I mean, that's even apart from a belief in God. I mean, it is really this sort of uh, self-absorption. I think. And social media yeah. really amplifies this. And, and that is a tremendous uh, difficulty for conservative parents who want to raise their children with conservative values. That's right. That's right. That's a huge distraction. But um, I argue in this book that by doing some things very mindfully, you know, very thoughtfully, things that our parents didn't have to do, uh, they're going to have a much better shot. One of the things I talk about is conversations. Now, I know moms and dads talk to their kids, but... A little bit more in-depth conversations, dinner table conversations, if possible. I know it's not always possible. You know, kids are working, mom and dad might have the night shift. But if you can have dinner together most nights 
and take the time to talk about things, um, you're really going to enrich your relationship with your daughter. You know, sit together, tell stories, laugh, talk, turn the phone off, put the laptop away, yeah. um, and conversations about some of these issues. One example I give is that, um, you know, what, what does that mean? America is an exceptional country. I mean, talk to about it. What does that mean? Well, you know, it's, it's a country founded unique at the time on the notion that our rights come to us from God, not from government. That's what makes us exceptional. And the founders formed the government only to protect those God-given rights and, and explain to them the difference between, you know, these totalitarian societies. What, I mean, why do they impose atheism? Because people of faith know that, that, that self-worth comes from God, not government. And this threatens dictators' control and power. They torture, they beat, they imprison people of faith. Why do they do that? They do it in order to crush freedom movements and to enforce atheism. It's, it's a, you know, so that's a great conversation. What makes America exceptional? And, and talk that through at dinner or maybe when you're driving the kids in the car or whatever. Make a point to raise some of these issues and talk about it. Not preach. I, I tend to preach to my own kids. <laughs> but to, to talk through these issues. What, why would anybody say we're exceptional? Well, it's easy, Ed. It's easy. <laughs> right. No, I, I completely agree with you here. And again, we're speaking with Michelle Easton. The book is How to Raise a Conservative Daughter. The paperback version is just out this week. Uh, and you can order that on Amazon. Um, I want to go through a couple of the other chapters here. <clears throat> One is, I think, even more pertinent these days than maybe, uh, maybe we thought it would be last year. A woman's differences are her strengths. Yes. You know, honestly, I mean, we're, we're, we have, as a culture, I'm not saying you and I, but the culture has adopted a nihilistic uh, approach to biological sex, which is to say that it refuses to recognize it. It refuses to acknowledge the differences um, and assumes that differences means uh, difference in dignity, which it doesn't. Um, yeah. And so I think this part of the book especially is, uh, it really reflects the, the fact that conservatism really should be based on truth. And the truth yes. is, is that human beings are made with two biological sexes and they're different. They're complementary, but they are different. And that's, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and, and springboard off of that. Yeah, that's a, it's one of my favorite chapters, chapter five. A woman's differences are her strengths. And let me say first, here at the Loose Center for Conservative Women, our staff, our interns, our leaders are not allowed to use the word gender because gender is what you think you are. And we want to talk about sex. The truth is that having your daughter celebrate the natural variation between men and women, you know, the, the breathtaking miracle of childbirth, it elevates her. And, you know, yet the left teaches girls that having children is a, is a patriarchal burden, it's inconvenient, it limits their success. I mean, the left propaganda that men and women are exactly the same is just a lie. It's a lie. And... Uh, <laughs> this fellow who's winning all the swim meets now. I mean, <laughs> right. It's what I was just thinking about because, and, and, and the reason why I was thinking about this is, is, is my colleague, John Sexton wrote about this and we're talking yeah. on Tuesday here. So it's today's, um, it was a post in today it, about how everyone at that swim meet knows that what is going on with Leah Thomas is wrong, but nobody right. will speak about it because they're afraid to uh, stand up to this culture. It's, it's cowardice. Yes, it is. It is. And um, he's not a girl. He's a boy who, I guess, wants to be a girl. 
but his physical uh, body, his laying, lungs, his, his bone strength, his muscles are a boy's. And so he's taking hormones. It doesn't matter. Just look at him. Just look at him, and you see why he's going to beat the girls, because he's not a girl. He's a boy who wants to be a girl. And, you know, my heart goes out to uh, people with that um, affliction or to that uh, uh, leaning, but um, don't wreck sports for girls. So many girls, you know, we've fought so long for girls to have you know, their own teams, and uh, back when I was in school, girls didn't have teams. That's <laughs> right. how old I am. And now... In high school and college, they have to lift the boys in to beat them. <laughs> it's yeah. so outrageous. Another sub part of this that I want to mention, Ed, is that before she starts to date, okay, mom and dad need to teach her that physical intimacy affects women very differently from men. And we actually have yeah. a booklet, College Girls Guide to Real Protection in a Hooked Up World, that explains. In a factual medical way, it's not moralistic, it's not preachy, again, because that's not the way to reach so many girls. There are differences between men and women when it comes to just basic uh, sexuality and uh, the things that people do on dates. And if they understand this, they will have a much happier life. You know who the biggest group that orders this uh, little brochure from us are? It's the life clinics. Yeah. <laughs> so the girls who've made a mistake... Um, and they've had one uh, out of wedlock, but they don't understand that it's very different between men and women. So any of your listeners who want this uh, Sense and Sexuality, the College Girls Guide to Real Protection of Hooked Up World, please uh, give us a call here. We're going to get the contact information at the end of the podcast, so stay tuned for that. I want to talk about one other thing here, and it cool. also relates to, this, to a similar issue. And I'm not going to – this is not in the philosophical or ideological weeds – this is just really very good uh, advice for all young people, but I think especially for young women, manage money early and often. I, I mean, I, I can't tell you how bad I was at this when I was in my early 20s, right? I mean, I ran up credit card debt. I never had yeah. any cash. I always wondered how my friends were able to do more things than I was. It's because I was, you know, just tossing money away. Um, and it yeah. wasn't really until I got married that I started taking that aspect of my life more seriously and um and i wish i had learned that earlier i would have had it a little bit more you know wealth the reason yeah you know wealth <laughs> i use that in a relative sense right you know retirement funds is kind of what i'm talking about but um the reason why this is more important for women is that i think women end up putting themselves in a position where they're um they're relying on men to uh, for that economic um, security, and it 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 can put you in bad uh, choice positions, is what I'm saying. And I think it's more important for women, more important than ever for women, to really be masters of this. Yes, and what I suggest in here for moms and dads, and some do this already, is starting them out when they're little with a piggy bank. And sort of the understanding that you get uh, perhaps gifts or maybe you earn it with chores. And then if you want to buy something, you know, you're going to take some of that money away out of the piggy bank. Um, when they get to a certain age, um, having a little savings account is good. And then when it gets to credit card time, 
and, and some kids get them in high school. I never did. But um, helping them work work through it. And, and it's, it's, it's all this notion, really, that this free stuff, this left-wing socialist yeah. liberal notion, oh, we just get free stuff. And, and understanding there is no free stuff. Somebody always has to pay for it. Um, so teaching her when she's young, um, you know, the principles about money management, just from a little girl and then she's a teenager and then she goes off to school maybe or, or whatever, it just, it's, it's a, it, if it's done early, um, you have a better shot that she's going to be responsible, um, you know, that she, if she, if she marries and she has a husband and, and together they, they earn or they take care of the family, great, but as you said, um, we know one in two marriages fails, unfortunately, and a lot of women, uh, suddenly they're on their own, and they have families maybe. They need to learn how to manage money and some of the principles about money at a very young age, and I've got a whole chapter on this. Uh, that's chapter seven, manage money early and often. A lot of suggestions for what moms and dads can do um, to have a better shot that she knows what she's doing. Absolutely. And, and I think that is absolutely key. And just to uh, close the loop on that, <clears throat> I, I, I want to let my parents off the hook. They did all those things with me. I still, it just, <laughs> I've got a <laughs> thick skull is what the problem is. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, 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 I tend to, I, 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 I tended to sort of learn lessons the hard way uh, and still do to some extent. So, uh, yep. but yes, uh, I, those are great suggestions. And by the way, I know we're almost out of time and I, I, I want to give Michelle Easton, the author of How to Raise a Conservative Daughter, an opportunity to tell you how to get in touch with her, how to get in touch with the Luce Institute, how to, uh, and where to go to, um, to get that pamphlet, especially, um, Michelle, yes. Give us, give us the links, give us all the information that you got on that. You can come to our website, cblwomen.org, um, and you can get in touch with us that way. That's probably the easiest way, especially since we're all leaving to go to CPAC. <laughs> right. Uh, we, we do have a phone here, 703-318-0730. That's, uh, that's in Virginia. And uh, I'm going to give you the 800 number as well. The 800 toll-free is 888-891-4288. And uh, we really want to help young women who are interested in, in becoming conservative leaders. We want to help them in every way we can. And this book, uh, the book, the goal of the book, really, Ed, is to get people thinking about conservative values, how to instill them in their daughters uh, with real-life applications. Um, and again, it's it's a long-term process. I mean, if your daughter's already in college, well, you could still do some of this stuff. If she's in high school or if she's in grammar school, you got a better shot. But it's parents thinking about it and not just assuming because your family is conservative and of faith that your daughters will be. You have to work at it in this day and age. Indeed. And Michelle Easton, I want to thank you for being with us. Again, the, the website at least, and I'm sure you can get all the other contact information. In fact, I see the phone numbers right at the top of the page there. CBLwomen.org. CBLwomen.org. And of course, How to Raise a Conservative Daughter. You can find that on Amazon.com. You can also go to CBLwomen.org and there's a link to it there as well. You can actually read the first chapter online at CBLwomen.org. So yes. be sure to check you that out. You got a freebie out. there. Yeah, you got a freebie. <laughs> you can get a head start even before it arrives from Amazon. Um, Michelle Easton, thank you so much for being with us and good luck at CPAC. Hope you have a great time. Thank you. Thank you, Ed, for all you do. Appreciate your work. Well, thank you very much. We'll be right back.